Good morning. I'm going to give a uh, financial report, and I'm going to front-end it just a smidgen, because if you just hear just the report, you, you might get tweaked in your thinking. So I want to uh, front-end it. That is, um, as I looked at the records five years ago, um, I particularly was going through a season of learning about faith, studying on the topic of faith, and teaching on the topic of faith. And as a part of that, um, I pretty clearly hear, heard the Lord say to me, I'm going to do a super abundant thing. A uh, month or two later, a, a lot of events that I'm not going to highlight, um, I heard the Lord say, I am doing a super abundant thing. Um, near the conclusion of that year, um, there were not sufficient funds to pay my salary for about three to four months. So I began to wonder, what is this super abundant thing? And have pretty much continued to continue to try and wonder. We uh, sent out numbers of folks from our church. There's been a church plant since then, so that's super abundant. Um, some leaders have gone and, and done other things, so, and uh, we've, uh, a number of people have transitioned to other places, so I've guessed that's super abundant. But all that to say, our board got together this last Sunday uh, as a part of our monthly meeting. Our fiscal year as a church is September 1 through August 31, so we were reviewing last year and uh, looking backward as well to kind of see uh, where the Lord had taken us in this last year. As a part of that year of super abundance, we ended up with somewhere around $26,000 in debt, um, which we have carried since 2003 pretty much. It's kind of gone up and down a little bit through the years, but uh, pretty much uh, it's uh, been unchanged. So I just want to give you kind of a snapshot of what has occurred in this past year. Uh, Last year at the end of August in 2003, uh, our checking account had in it a walloping $122. Yes, sir, that was, uh, that's always great. Helps you, uh, helps you know, you know, what you got in hand to be able to pay the rent. Um, Our savings account at the time was zero. And our debt was $26,000. So that was, that's the picture of where we were essentially September 1 at the beginning of the fiscal year. At the end of our fiscal year, uh, just a few weeks ago, August 31, we had $4,300 in our checking account. That's nice. We had $6,000 in our savings account. And our debt had gone down to 11500 That's pretty cool. Essentially, if, if you're not an accountant and you don't have to be, you can probably see that the cash numbers up there kind of equal the debt number down there. I mean, we're, we're pretty close to calling that even. Um, but we have goals uh, for savings to have in the bank, um, and we advocate that for those. There's uh, rules of thumb. You should have so many months of in your savings account should something happen like, you know, your bank go under, get sold to somebody else. Um, what's that? Yeah, anyway. Okay, but there's one other number that I want to share with you, um, and that is outreach missions. Don't put it up there yet. Um, now, a few years ago, um, we were uh, wrestling in our financial challenges to uh, accomplish outreach and missions in a uh, fruitful way. 
and a board member uh, very strongly uh, encouraged us to align with what we were teaching our people, which was to tithe. And um, we were not able to immediately uh, turn that around. But also in 2008, we were able to get that done, and our outreach mission spending was 15% of our income. So God has principles, and when we honor those principles, he blesses. And I know that many of you perhaps have been in your season of wondering where's God's superabundant thing as you have wrestled through the years. But I tell you, he is doing a superabundant thing. And he wants to do that not only for us as a body together, but as individuals, as a part of that family. So the blessing that we have received as a local church can also then go out to others around us. So there we are. God has done a pretty superabundant thing this past year. Well, praise God. Now, next Sunday, we'll give a report on how much was um, donated for the hurricane um, support to the folks there in Galveston. I can't do this uh, this Sunday because our bookkeeper is kind of in and out, so she's not able to give us t- the full figure. So we're going to wait, but you will get it. Um, hi, I'm Clara. Nice to see you all. That was Randy, my husband. He's the, the better half, and he and I um, like to lead you all, and we're glad that you're here this morning. Um, excuse me, I got rid of my gum. Just the first notes. I'm sorry, I should have taken it before. Okay. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but for the members of our church, uh, you guys can get um, through a, a podcast, that's the right term, um, our sermons. So for those of you that uh, work upstairs with uh, the kids, we want to thank Benjamin, you all guys. Thank Benjamin back there for doing that. So when you're working out with the kids and you've missed the, the sermons and you really want to, or you're flying somewhere because you're a pilot, you know, those kinds of things, you can get the sermons for no cost. You just have to be a member, and Benjamin will teach you how to do that. So that's awesome. Okay, now, um, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Terry Waite. You ever heard of him? Oh, that's a disappointment. No. Uh, yes. Thank you. You're on top of things, Randy. Okay, we have been talking about prayer. So we're not going to talk about Terry right now. We've been talking about prayer for the last six weeks. We've been in a series, and to next Sunday will be our last series on prayer. And I just want uh, to share a couple of really exciting testimonies that have been going on as folks have been um, moving in prayer and expecting God to do things and as we become obedient as a body. And uh, the first one I want uh, to share is uh, Joseph Disenalbin. Will you come forward? He's um, last Sunday uh, during ministry prayer. There were some words, and he's going to share about what God was doing for him. So, do you want to do it there? Here? Okay, good. And Joseph is a, a a personal friend of our family. He's like a son to me, brother. I'm not old enough to be a son, but you know, that's how it works. So here you go. She made me promise to do this in four minutes, and those of you that know me know I can't do anything in four minutes, but I'm going to really try, so she'll, she'll hold me to that. Um, so let's see, last Sunday, um, we're sitting back there. Let's see, I don't want to miss anything. Anyways, I was sitting back there listening to uh, Mr. Randy's sermon. Sorry. Ton of feedback. Uh, listen, listening to Randy's sermon, and... Uh, Kind of contemplating about that, 
And I had been earlier in the morning talking to God about my knee problem and surgery and other things that I can't really afford to have done. And in while he was speaking, God spoke to me and told me that he was going to heal my hip. About four years ago, I had fallen and had pretty much have daily pain from that. But I've adjusted to that pain, and you just kind of ignore it after that. Um, so God said to me real clearly, he was going to heal my hip as he was getting ready. This is before he, well, anyways, trying to make this short. Um, and so I said to God, well, can you heal my knee too, my left knee? And, then, and I got no response. I got nothing, right? I would think after hearing so clearly that it'd be easier for him to answer that. But, and I suspect it was. So this gentleman over here, and I don't recall your name, but um, one of these two had a word about a person with a hip. So I thought, I know that guy. And then his wife had a, a, a word about her knee. And I thought, well, it's the wrong knee, but it could be her right and not my left, as it were. So, because it was, I think, her right knee, um, and it was my left knee that needed healing. So anyways, they prayed, and I told them what God had told me. And uh, so they prayed, and, and uh, the gentleman had some very insightful, prophetic words about the conversation that I was having with God in the shower, or mostly my complaints to God in the shower that morning. Um, so I left, and pretty much knew God was going to heal the hip. Still no word about the knee. And as I was walking out, it felt as, as if someone had shot my whole side with Novocaine. I mean, it's the only way I can describe it. It's really kind of odd. Not while they were praying, but by the time church was over, it was pretty much that. And the knee hasn't hurt since. Uh, or the, not the knee, the, um, the hip. Which, and of course, the funny part of this, I think the funny part of this, is... Um, it took a couple of days for me to learn to walk normally because I've been putting more weight on my left side than on my right side, just as a matter of course. And so in the process of that, within two to three days, the left knee stopped hurting, <laughs> which is why God didn't bother answering the question. So. Great. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? And I think that's his first experience with uh, personally experiencing healing like that. So that's awesome. Praise God. Okay. And um, then at our community group level, um, I'm aware of a testimony. So I asked Mercy to come forward, and she's going to share about her community group and some of the things they're experiencing as they're applying um, the teachings that we're getting on Sundays. Hello. My name's Mercy. Um, this last Thursday, um, I'm a leader in one of the junior high community groups, and um, I have um, I was teaching that Thursday, and I was teaching on off of my dad's um, teaching on prayer of healing, and um, so I was teaching and um, got some really um, they're a little scared about that whole healing thing, but <laughs> um, by the end of the time. Um, Um, they were a little scared um, about the whole healing thing, about casting out demons and um, raising the dead back to life and <laughs> all healing the sick. They were scared about all that. They're like, uh, no, I don't want to do that. 
Like, I can pray for you, you know, as a leader when we go into our groups at the end, but I don't think I can do that. Um, But at the end, um, my mom had some leading um, to share. um, You know, that's good. You know, that's good that you feel uncomfortable. I want to share a little something that um, when when we first started our community groups, we had, um, at the end of the teaching time, um, the leader asked, okay, now we're going to go into prayer. The leader's going to pray for you. We're going to go into little groups, and we're gonna, the leader's going to pray for you. They're like, whoa, okay, no, I can't do that. And so it's been a process. They, that was scary to them now, and they're perfectly fine with it now. Um, and now it was the whole healing the sick and um, casting out demons and raising the dead back to life. Anyways, um, so my um, mom got some leading as to um, that we were going to um, um, practice, I guess, yeah, um, practice um, doing he- healing someone um, of something. So we asked the group if there was um, someone who was, what, if they need healing about something. And one of the girls um, said that I'm feeling stressed. I feel stressed all the time. I'm really busy and don't get everything done that I'm needing to. So we said, okay. So we, she stood up and we circled around her and asked her some of the questions, like the model that my dad had used. Um, okay, what, what is it? We've, um, what is the problem? Which, well, she was stressed. She said that. And then what? Um, and then we asked God. Um, what's it connected to? So um, we were all praying, and then um, one of the girls um, said, well, I'm getting a sword. So we're like, okay, so we'll let everyone else share. And one of the other girls asked, um, um, are you feeling really overwhelmed? You can't get anything done? And Haley was, uh, the, the, um, when the, other, the girl said, um, yes, <laughs> I, uh, that is what I'm feeling. Um, so we then, um, my mom said, okay, well, now we're going to transition. She said, um, what does a sword mean to you? So um, she said, um, means that it's very dangerous. And if you um, don't use it properly, then you will um, can hurt your, hurt somebody. Um, but it's it's very powerful. Um, so we um, then my mom um, sorry um, so we started praying for her um, about that. My mom started prophesying over her and said that. Um, I think that you need to repent for not um, um, sorry well it's just that one part I don't know about the yeah. I don't know I'll help you on this part she's been doing great. This is her community group. I'm just a coach that goes and uh, while we were praying for her. Um, the Lord gave us a, a pathway to lead her into prayer, and that pathway was uh, repentance because um, <clears throat> she knew what that sword meant because she's a very spiritually inclined young person, and she knew that that sword was prayer. 
And even though she doesn't go to our church, this is one of the gals that goes to a different church. She knew that she hadn't been using her prayer life or the, or the word of God in appropriate ways. And so she went through a place of uh, repentance. She verbally repented for placing that sword down and not using it the way she should. And then we began to then um, give her back um, power, authority, and passion to use what the Father had given her. And so that was a really a very exciting time. Um, while we were praying for her, uh, she was uh, definitely manifesting the presence of God. Uh, there were obvious signs we had talked about um, that happened when we pray for people. You know, they, she was uh, shifting and breathing hard. She was crying, and um, it, the color of her face was changing. And in our community group, uh, we have people who are not Christians that come to our community group. And so when they get to see things like this, it just rattles their chain. And they're like, wow, this is really unusual. In fact, one of the young people that goes to our community group actually is um, into witchcraft. So she has an encounter of power of God and seeing what God can do to a person. A very beautiful, very example, beautiful example of what God does in our midst um, when people go for it. And I was really proud of Mercy. She taught the lesson, and she last Sunday was upstairs with the kids. So she didn't even get the full teaching from Randy, but because of, um, you know, support in that area, she was able to do it. So I was proud of her, proud of um, the Holy Spirit coming in and doing what he did for that young lady. It was really a very powerful time. So thank you. All right. So what we're going to do right now before we go, I just feel like um, there's faith in our building, and so I want you to stand. And um, if you have a place where you are not feeling well physically, I'd like you to just place your hand um, in that area. And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit um, to pray, to heal, to, um, to care for you in a very tender way. So, and those of you that have no sickness, there's no problems, no swelling, no pain, then I want you to pray for the Holy Spirit to come on those who are suffering, that God would heal them. So, Father, I just thank you now, Father, for the laying on of hands in these areas that are under pain, under stress. And, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come with your power to heal, Father, that the grip of the evil one in any way that's related to this pain, Lord, not all of them are, but wherever the evil one has had a grip and tormenting your people, that that grip would be released now in Jesus and broken, Father, that you would heal uh, backs and shoulders and mouths, Lord, that you would heal um, aches and pains, Lord, mental distress, Father, that you would release, Father, your people from the works of the evil one, that your kingdom would come with power. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you be seated, and we'll move on. Okay, so as I was talking before, all that great stuff, um, there, I want to mention to you about a guy named Terry Waite. And Terry Waite um, was an Anglican leader. That's like uh, the church in England. And um, he was an advisor to the um, Archbishop of Canterbury and during the 80s, 1980s. And the reason he was an advisor was he was a good friend of his and stuff. And so because he was an advisor to him, uh, Terry Waite got into situations where he he activated his faith through his work. And so he became a gentleman who began to negotiate for hostages to get set free. 
1981 and in 1985 there were hostages in Iran and he went and negotiated for these hostages to get set free. There were British hostages at the time and he was successful at both times. So then in 1987 he went again to negotiate for the release of some hostages but this time they were American hostages. And so he went to Beirut and he was meeting with an individual who was the contact person and through a series of conversations and stuff, he basically got tricked. And he was taken captive himself for five years. And um, during that time, he had a very vibrant relationship with the Lord. And so his faith really kept him at a very um, positive and hopeful place during those five years. But he wrote a book after his release of five years um, in captivity. He wrote a, a book called um, Taken on Trust, which was an autobiography of his time there. And I just want to quote a couple of things because this is relative to our, uh, relevant, excuse me, to our talk today about prayer. Uh, quote, I was chained to a wall by my hands and feet, and I was beaten on the soles of my feet with cable and denied any human rights and contact with my family and given no access to the world. The hardest thing for a prisoner is in those conditions is the uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen to you next. You have no rights, no one speaks to you, no one advises you, and no one to fall back on. For four years, I was kept in solitary confinement and had no companionship at all. I was always blindfolded or had to wear a blindfold when someone came in the room. I never saw another human being. I never had any exercise in the whole period. I had to get what exercise I could while chained to the wall. I had five minutes a day to go to the bathroom. For the rest of the time, I had to use a bottle. What was most difficult was that I had no contact with my family for five years. They didn't know whether I was alive or dead for about four years until the news got to them from another hostage. And what would they would do is they would tap through the walls, because he was chained to the walls, so he would tap on the walls, the, the alphabet. So one tap meant A, two tap meant B, and so forth. And they would tap back and forth the hostages on the wall. And so one of the hostages was able to decipher that his name was Terry Wade. And at that time, he, he kid in the book about, I was so frustrated that I had to tap Y for Terry and W for Wade. It just took such a long time, you know. Anyway, one of the most wonderful things to happen was during the last six months of my captivity, I was given a small radio. I listened to BBC World Series continually. And a cousin of mine broadcast on my birthday my favorite piece of Bach organ music, which he said was a gift from my family. It was a great source of hope and comfort to me to have some communication from home, however small. And then finally when Terry came back, they took the Air Force um, landed him in England and quote, I stumbled through a glass door and stared. My son, who was a teenager when I was captured, had now grown up so much I did not recognize him. Julian, my youngest daughter, ran to me, leaped into my arms, and we both wept together. Then my whole family moved forward. We wept as we embraced each other. That's when I knew I was home. Now, when we started our series five weeks ago on prayer, we basically have tried to do everything we can to encourage you, to convince you, to change your mind about prayer. Because quite frankly, I believe Christians are very confused about prayer. We treat prayer as a test that we failed, a spiritual standard that we just can't meet up to. 
And it's, a lot of us feel ashamed. So if we go to community group and the community group leader says, hey, so how's your devotional life going? How's that prayer thing going? We kind of hang our head and hope that the question never gets to us. Because quite frankly, we're not doing all that good as it comes to prayer. And we hope that they never really get to us because we fail the the test. Now, some of us treat prayer as burdensome, an obligation that we have to perform, but we haven't. I know I should pray. I know I ought to go to corporate prayer. I know, I know, I know. But it feels like all your teaching has just become another burden, another stress in my already very stressful life. Now, worst of all, I believe, is the misconception that prayer is somehow a badge of our holiness because we pray we are holy people and we're really a very good Christian. Now, today I want to give you a word picture of prayer and what it's like. And prayer is like coming home from a very far away country to be with your Father in heaven. Prayer is the recognition that we've been away from God. <laughs> Excuse me. A far off land. Kind of like Terry Waite, who was taken away for five years from his family and he was coming home and how different that felt and how wonderful it felt to be back in the arms of his loved one. And in prayer, we are responding to the Father's invitation, come home. Son and daughter, stop keeping yourself away from me. Come home. Stop living in a distant country. Come back. Come back to my acceptance. Come back to my unconditional love. Come back to my forgiveness. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your goodness to be so patient with us. That you long, Father, for us to understand how beautiful it is to be at your feet. To come back home to you. To feel your warm embrace. To feel comfortable in the silence of you not saying anything. And, Father, I just pray for a spirit of, uh, of prayer to be released in our church. Father, that we would um, get rid of our misconceptions and our feelings that prayer is a burden, Lord. Prayer is something I have to do. Lord, I just pray for anointing and inspiration from your Holy Spirit on these words. And that, Father, you would do um, the kind of work that only you can do in our midst. And, Father, I just pray for our guests who come with a variety of needs, Lord. It may not be at all related to what we're talking about, but, Lord, I make it and ask that you would make it very much related to them. And that they would feel ministered and encouraged. Father, that our people would all feel comforted and encouraged, Father, to move forward with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Do we have tissues in this church? (laughs) Thank you.
Okay, let's turn to our Bibles. Uh, We're going to go to Luke chapter 15. Now, Jesus in chapter 15 is um, responding first to some yucky stuff that the Pharisees accused him of. And then he responds by giving two parables, um, excuse me, three parables, all about lost things. You know, lost coins, lost sheep, lost son. But two of those parables actually um, very specifically talking about coming home. Now, some of you may be asking, okay, what does this have to do with prayer? Why should I pray? And the answer I, I think I might want you to think about is, you know, some of you may think, well, I should pray because prayer is a duty as a Christian. I mean, Jesus did it, so I should imitate what Jesus did. Uh, the apostles did it, so we should do what the apostles did. And really, if you read any great biographies of great holy men and women of God, they prayed. So we should do it because as an example. Now, there are other motives why people pray. I mean, quite frankly, a lot of us pray in order to get something from God that we cannot supply for ourselves on our own. You know, there's that thing of uh, feeling guilty, of feeling regret. And so we go to God, and God gives us forgiveness, and he gives us a clear, clean conscience. That's a great thing. Um, If we have tried in vain to do everything we can to um, produce a child, We've gone to fertility institutions, taken hormones, mapped out our temperature, done everything we can, try to get our life in order, and still no baby. Then we pray. If we try to um, heal a troubled marriage, you know, we apologize, we've read books, we've gone to conferences, gone to counseling, and still a broken marriage, we pray. If we try to get a better job, or a job, any job, and we've reworked and reworked our resume, and we've expended every single contact that we possibly have to help us get a job, we often will resort to prayer when we can't get the job done. And you know, it's not just us as Christians, but all over the world, people pray when they can't produce something that they would like to produce for themselves, but they can't. You know, when there's a drought or a famine, people who don't even believe in Jesus will begin to pray and ask God to produce rain. If there's a war and the people are being crushed and they cannot protect themselves, they will pray. If a person is an addict and they've tried to overcome their addictions in their own strength, you find them praying. And we don't just pray for our own needs. We pray for the people that we love, people who are in our lives that are needy. You know, if your child were sick, facing an aggressive form of cancer, you better believe you're going to pray. If we hear of a hurricane coming, an Ike, or a Gustav, and we know we're not capable of changing the weather, we pray. So one fundamental reason for us praying is to get from God what we cannot produce on our own. And you know what? That's okay. Don't be ashamed about that. He's a very wealthy and resourceful God, and he likes to give good gifts. But there is another motive for prayer that I want to talk about this morning. It's the motive that the Father God wants to spend time with you. Have you ever considered that as a reason for praying? God, your father, wants to be with you. He wants your company. He enjoys your company, and he's honored by your presence. And that is amazing. I mean, when you think of a God who has made the Milky Way, who's made all the stars, all the limited amounts of galaxies, the God who created the ocean, the God who created Mount Rainier, 
The God who rules over hurricanes wants to spend time with you. That is motivating. Now let's look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now eating with somebody in, the, in those times, in the times of Jesus, was a big deal. Because it basically meant, I accept you. And here's one Bible commentator, he said it this way. Even in the East today, eating with a man is an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In short, sharing a table meant sharing life. Jesus' meal with tax collectors and sinners are an expression of his mission and message. God is including you in his family. Now, the Pharisees refused to have anything to do with ungodly people, with tax collectors and sinners. And their name, the Pharisee, actually literally meant separated one. And so they separated themselves from Gentiles, and they even separated themselves from Jews who didn't live up to their religious standards. So it was possible, Pharisees were generous people, it was possible for them to be generous by giving to a needy sinner, but you would never, ever find them eating with a sinner. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law mutter, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now the word welcome suggests that Jesus was the host, that he was inviting sinners to be with him. And that would have offended the Pharisees even more so. Because when you welcome someone, that means you accept them. Now, there's a custom in the Middle East um, where there's a series of hosts, I mean, excuse me, toast, when you invite people to your home. And so the host would stand up and take the wine, and he would offer a blessing, something like, we are honored and blessed to have you here as our guest. And after he would do all of this, his family and household would bless uh, their guests. Then the guests would stand and give, reciprocate with a blessing to the host for his invitation. Now, I want you to look at Luke chapter 19, just a, couple, a few chapters further back. And this is another, um, what I just explained is what we see happening in Luke 19, where Jesus has been invited by Zacchaeus over to dinner. And the positions are switched. Zacchaeus is the host and Jesus is the guest. And in verses 8 and 9, we see Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession. Because after they did the, um, the blessing, the toast, they would often pronounce a promise or a gift that they were going to give to their guests. And so that's what Zacchaeus is doing here. He is actually sharing the gift or the promise he's giving to Jesus. Um, Lord, look here. Now I give half of my possession to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody, well, obviously he had, out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Wow. Jesus said to him, today, and here is Jesus' response, is now he is the visitor, and he is now responding to the toast. Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Wow. Now, going back to Luke 15, it's reversed. If Jesus is the one who's welcoming and the sinners are the, the guests, then Jesus is blessing them. And he's telling them, I am honored that you have come to be with me. And that really irritated the Pharisees. Now, think about this. Can you imagine if Jesus were to lift the wine glass to you? 
When you go to that time, when you say, you know what, I want to spend some time with Jesus. We're in this prayer series. I need to pray. And he says, I am honored to have you here with me this morning. Thank you for coming and hanging out with me. Maybe not over a wine, but maybe over a Starbucks cup of coffee. In fact, the Lord is very honored with our presence. And that was what the Pharisees just could not accept. That someone who was representing God would suggest that God would be willing to associate with dirty, scummy, disobedient people like us. Not only does he want to associate with dirty, scummy people like us, but he's actually honored by our presence. Now, do you believe that? Do you have a theological grid for that? Does your perspective of God allow for God to have that level of acceptance, that level of love for you? And that's how Jesus feels, and that's why, as a response to what they said about him relating to the sinners, Jesus then bumps into the three stories about lost things. And that's his response to their question and their accusation. So let's read Luke chapter 15, verses 3 to 7. Then Jesus told them in this parable, Suppose one of you had a hungry sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So why pray? Not only because God wants to spend time with you, but because the community of God needs you to. Now there's a book called The Poet and the Peasant who was written by Ken Bailey, and he's authority, an authority on the middle life, um, a life and culture. And he explains in his book that, um, I'm going to read his quote, quote, no one in Jesus' day would have been wealthy enough to own a hundred sheep. The average family might own five or at most ten animals. So the village would hire several shepherds to watch the whole community. Sheeps. So when a sheep was lost, the whole community knew that it was uh, about it and was troubled over the lost sheep. The community felt the lost, and that is why they would all rejoice when the sheep was found. It wasn't that they didn't have a life. It was the community was life to them. So when we read the parables or scriptures, we often go to it with our 21st independent individualistic lenses. I mean, we're Americans. We take care of ourselves. We're master of our own. Okay, so I'm a Christian. So it's Jesus and me, but then that's it. And that kind of mentality is not what the scripture models nor talks about. We notice when someone leaves the church and stops going. We hear when they're wandering and we struggle And we understand that they're struggling with their faith and struggling with prayer. And we don't say, gee, that's just too bad. I'm so sorry to hear that they're making such bad decisions. Or worse, gossip about them. You know, did you hear what John's up to now? He's really gone into the deep end. It's too bad he's no longer around. In the story about the lost sheep, Jesus is saying, one lost sheep 
is our loss, not just their loss. All of us lose when a person leaves our church, our community. Our family has lost a family member. And as a pastor, that's why it hurts. We just don't get it. We don't understand the importance of community. And that's why people struggle with committing to church, with committing to a community group. As frail as we are, people just don't get it. And that's why we spend a lot of time encouraging y'all to get involved by going to Vineyard Basics, getting involved in a community group, so you can understand the richness that is found in the body of Christ. We are members of one another, and we are to be connected. The Christian life is not just me and Jesus. It is us together with Jesus. We need to ache when someone leaves the church and falls into a lifestyle that is painfully hurtful to them. We need to be aching when we hear that a brother is having a hard time praying. We're not to judge them. We're to lift them up. And when one comes back, we are to rejoice with the Father, collectively rejoice that they have returned. Our family member is back. If any of you have ever had a sibling or a son or a close um, parent ever involved in addiction, and they are in a wasted place, can you imagine the joy when they come back and they're restored? It's a beautiful thing. So why should you pray? Because the community of God needs you to pray. Why should you pray? Because the Father enjoys welcoming you into his home. Now let's look at verse 5 with me in your Bibles. And when he finds it, the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Now I want you to underline that verse in your Bible. He joyfully puts it in his shoulder and goes home. Now, some of us have thought that God is only happy when he finds a lost sheep. You know, and, and the scripture shows that, no, he is very joyful putting it on his shoulder and going home. He is glad to carry you on his shoulder. He's not muttering under his breath, you miserable sheep. Here you're wandering off, and I'm getting all wet and dirty, and you're stinky, too. <laughs> you might think, well, you know, sure, God's happy when somebody for the first time repents and asks Jesus into their hearts and prayers a prayer for salvation, but not for me, not because I've been wandering. We think, oh, I found you now, and so now the, you've crossed the line, and you prayed the prayer, and, you know, I'm going to go off to somebody else a little bit more needy than you. Wherever you are in your relationship with God, he wants you to come all the way home to sup with him and him to sup with you. He does not get impatient and weary about the restoration process in our life. I mean, we go three steps back and two steps forward. And three steps back, do you think he tires of that? No, he doesn't. We might, but he doesn't. The joy of the Lord is felt not just in finding us, but in carrying us through the process of restoration. He joyfully puts us on his shoulder, not grudgingly, not angrily, but joyfully. And he wants to bring us to the full purpose and calling of God in our life. He wants to have an intimate relationship with us 
The answer is not, I've got to fix myself up before coming home. Nope. Wrong answer. That lamb could do nothing. It was caught. It couldn't even move. God finds us where we are. He carries us wherever we are, however broken we are. And he uses his community to do that because we're the neck down of God. So he uses us to carry one another when we're so beat up. Now, I had a friend who um, went through a lot of surgeries for her knee. They weren't very successful. She got very depressed because she wasn't able to function at work or well, even within her family. And I remember one time going to her home and visiting with her to pray for her. And she said, Clara, I have to confess I can't even pray anymore. And I told her, it's okay. We're carrying you in prayer. And there's times when we need to carry one another in prayer. So the question is not, will you fix yourself? The question you might ask is, um, will I allow myself to be carried? Will I allow myself to let God fix me, to clean me up, or to restore me? Prayer is inviting God into your situation and allowing your Heavenly Father to carry you and to give him access to your heart. Prayer is allowing God to redeem your life and accomplish the purposes he's created for you. He doesn't just want to find you and then move on. He wants to bring you all the way home into an intimate, purposeful life. Now, a few stories in the Bible really teach this unconditional love of God and what prayer is all about, really, to me, than this parable of the lost son, which is also in chapter 15. And what I want to do is we read this section of the scripture. I want you to think about Terry Waite and his condition where he was separated from his family and everything that was wonderful. And he was tortured. And then when he finally got to go home and be with his beloved family. Okay, let's read Luke chapter 15, verses 11 and 12. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, reading this phrase, Father, give me the share of my estate, does not really translate at the impact that these words meant because at that time it basically meant dad i wish you would drop dead and in that culture where parents were so honored it this was like the extreme um, obscenity that a son could speak to his parent at that time and so the audience totally were like oh my gosh that a son would say that and this father was not abusive he was not molesting his son. He was providing, protecting, and caring for his son. So much so that he was storing away great wealth for his son when he became a man and he could give him great riches. Now, could you imagine you saying to your parent, if they were a good parent, Mom, Dad, I wish you would just go ahead and die so I could get mine and move on. And can you imagine saying such a thing to God, your father? God, I wish you were dead. I wish you did not exist. Now, maybe you wouldn't put it quite that way. I think it would sound something like this. God, I want you to be theoretically existing. I want you to be there if and when I get into trouble. I want you to be there if I get cancer. 
I want you to be there if I hit a crisis in my marriage. I want you to be there if I can't manage something on my own. And then I'd like you to be sort of a safety net. But right now, I really would like if you would leave me alone. Thank you very much. Failing to pray is like treating God as if he were dead. God, would you just leave me alone? I want to go through a day without feeling guilty for what I want to do. I don't want to connect with you on a daily basis. I don't want to invite you to my circumstances. Leave me alone, God. I know you don't like what I'm doing with my girlfriend. I know you don't like what I'm doing at my business. I know, I know. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear it. Would you just be dead? Now, um, I don't know if any of you are in that place, and I don't know if you ever thought of not praying being like as if God were dead. So think about it for a little bit. It's kind of like being 18, and you go off to college for the first time. Freedom. This is great. Fantastic. When you come home for the weekend every once in a while, you say, Hey, Dad, do you have a 20? I'm kind of broke. And, Hey, Mom, I don't have any clean clothes. Would you do some laundry for me? And we often treat God like that. And we relate to God that way in prayer. Yeah, I'll shoot up a prayer to God every once in a while before dinner or once a week. Prosper me, God. Bless me, God. But otherwise, we want to live a life by our own rules. God, I wish you were dead. So failing to pray is treating God as if he were dead. Give me my inheritance. Give me all the good stuff, God. But I don't want intimacy with you. I don't want to live by the rules of the house. Now, when we don't pray, we also have the tendency to misuse the gifts and talents that God's given us. Because if we don't pray, we're using them fully for ourselves. And you know God has an opinion about your gifts and about your talents. And when we have a prayerless life, we conveniently overlook the fact that God has a will for our life for our gifts and our talents, all which really originally came from God. Now, in the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son loses his father's wealth. He wanders from the father's house and messes up all the gifts that the father had stored up for him. The gifts his father had stored up as a blessing for his son, he has completely wasted. And he never thought to ask his dad, Dad, so what should I do with this money that you gave me prematurely? No thought of that at all. He's going to do what he wants to do with it. Yeah, Father, you have generously given me food, clothing, money, my house, even my body you have given to me. What do you want me to do with it, Lord? What is your will? What's your heart concerning what I have? These are questions that we should be asking the Father. Perhaps the lost son begins to believe like us. This job, yeah, it's a good job. I make a lot of money. Hey, but I did it because my sweat and tears and hard work. And money, hey, if I got it, I should use it the way I want. After all, I worked hard for it. And that kind of mentality is void of including the very God who gave you your smarts. You know, if you go and talk to anybody who's in a... I have a son-in-law who works with clients who are very wealthy and dealing with a lot of money and consulting them. And, you know... You don't hear them acknowledging that this come from God or asking God, God, what do you want to do with the smarts you've given me? What do you want me to do with the art that you've given me? What do you want me to do, Lord? 
Now, consider the use, the misuse of artistic giftings in this country. What's been done with the creativity that God has given us? Do we try to reflect God, the creator, through our art? Now, you guys all know about a show that I don't think they're doing anymore. It's called The Fear Factor. You all know about that show? Yeah? How many of you don't know about it? Okay. All right. I'll explain. Uh, basically, it's like doing the scariest things possible to gross people out, and if they can make it, then the ultimate person is the winner, and they get a big prize. But I want to listen to some of the four C's in Fear Factor. Bug body bag. Fly shake. Save your partner in tarantulas, bobbin in rats, and gross dunk tank. And I want you to read something about the fly shake. During the second visit to Fear Factor, Michael Fudge Thompson got more than a mouthful as he raced against the clock to chug down a shake made from live houseflies and maggots. Quote, looking at the bowl with the maggots moving wasn't bothering me too bad, you know, the taste and the smell kind of got to me. But the fact that you've got to spit in this container and then suck it up, that's what really got me gagging. It was killing my stomach. The maggots were moving around and touching my tongue. So I just had to grab every upper body strength that I could muster up and try to choke it down. Man, it was terrible. It was the most horrific cuisine I have ever tasted. Well, that's good to hear. So I'm going to stop. Now, do you think anybody who conceives this kind of stunt has said, Father, what would you have me do with the creative gifts that you've given me? When we fail to pray to ignore, we fail to ask God how to use our giftings as creativity, to use our gifting in our home, our class, at the hospital, at work. We fail to participate with a God who has a plan for those gifts and talents that he's given to you. And that's where he wants to prosper you. When we pr- fail to pray, we are refusing to welcome the Father's thoughts in our art, in our music, and in our studies. When we fail to pray about our money, our body, our relationships, and anything God has given us, it is in essence saying, God, I don't need you. I wish you were dead. So when we fail to pray, we lose out on hearing the Father's loving voice. And let's read in chapter 15. 13 through 16, these words. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in the wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, probably including his dad's land. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. So he sent himself to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The son loses everything during a famine, and he begins to be in need. And he's so bad off, he has to hang out with pigs. And, you know, if you know anything about the Jewish culture, pigs are considered very unclean animals. You don't touch them, you definitely don't sleep with them, you don't feed them, and you don't eat their stuff. And so you can imagine that what Jesus was saying was, This guy was so bad off that he completely turned his back on a religious belief that he had. It would be like one of your children denouncing their faith in Christ and getting involved with witchcraft. This lost lost son 
was free from his father's rule, but he's become enslaved to another set of rules, another master. Now, Bob Dylan says this, you got to serve somebody. You either serve God the Father or you serve the devil, but you got to serve somebody. So you can be free from the father's control, but you're going to find yourself being in the control of sex or work or alcohol or food or a person. When we leave the father's house and neglect prayer, we lose the ability to hear the father speaking to us. That voice that communicates to us unconditional love. Now, in the book called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nuon, and Henry Nuon has written a lot of books Um, He's passed away, but he's a fantastic writer, a bit deep, but good stuff. If you can get your hands on any of his stuff, I would highly recommend it. And he he explains about losing hearing the Father's voice in this way. And it's kind of a lengthy quote, so I have it up on the board, but we'll read it. Quote, leaving home is then much more than a historical event bound to time and place. It is a denial of the spiritual reality that I belong to God with every part of my being, that God holds me safe in his eternal embrace, that I am indeed carved in the palms of God's hands and hidden in his shadows. Leaving home is living as though I do not yet have a home and must look, for a, um, look far and wide to find one. Home is the center of my being where I can hear the voice that says, You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. I have heard that voice. It has spoken to me in the past and continues to speak to me now. It is the never interrupted voice of love speaking from eternity and giving life and love wherever it is heard. When I hear that voice, I know that I am home with God and have nothing to fear. As the beloved of my heavenly father, I can walk in the valley of darkness and no evil would I fear as the beloved I can cure the sick I can raise the dead I can cleanse the lepers and cast out demons having received without charge I can give without charge as the beloved I can confront and console and admonish and encourage without fear of rejection or need for affirmation as the beloved I can suffer persecution without desire for revenge and receive praise without using it as proof of my goodness. As the beloved, I can be tortured and killed without ever having to doubt that the love that is given to me is stronger than death. As the beloved, I am free to live and give life, free also to die while giving life. When we leave the Father's house, we find ourselves asking people, Do you love me? Do you think I'm okay? And when we leave the Father's voice, we live in a world of ifs. Well, yes, I love you if you're good looking, if you're intelligent, if you're wealthy. I love you if you have a good education or a good job or hang out with the right kind of people. There are endless ifs in the world, love, and those ifs enslave us. The world's love is always and always will be conditional. But friends, to fail to pray means failing to hear the Father's unconditional affirming voice. There are no ifs. Now, um, a while back we taught you on a 
prayer model, acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and then finally listening to the voice of God and writing down these prayers. And consistently, when I go to the Lord and ask him, Lord, is there anything that you want to say to me? He almost always starts with, I love you, Clara. Why would I want to miss hearing that? To hear those words from the creator God, I would be nuts not to spend time with him daily. It is a sure place where the ifs of these worlds are broken over my life and I can receive the true love of my father. Failing to pray is to live outside of the center of my father's home. No earthly person is ever going to be able to give you that kind of love to the depth that you need because you are a spiritual being. Only God can meet that need in you. And it's coming to him in prayer and listening to his voice and spending time in his house that you will find coming back from a distant country. Okay. I'm emotional. <laughs> if any of you are emotional, then maybe that's a good thing. That may mean that God's uh, stirring something up inside of you. Um, so, what do you guys want? Do you guys want relationship with Jesus as intimate? Are you hungry for that? Do you thirst for that? Yeah. He wants that so bad for y'all. And he does not have gripes about the miserableness that you've done in your life. He does not pick you up begrudgingly. He joyfully will pick you up and bring you back home. So if you are not a Christian, we're going to start there. And then we're going to start for the rest of us after that. If you have never given your life to Jesus and you want to know the unconditional love of the Father, would you raise your hand? Okay. Now, if you're in a place where you're like, man, I'm missing God. I'm missing being in the center of his home. Hearing him that way, like you talk. I know I'm being run by a lot of ifs. I've got to perform. I'm not making it. And you want that intimacy. You want to hear that unconditional heartbeat of God. Would you please stand? Lord says I'm honored I've been keeping this bottle of wine for a long time it's really nice you're going to like having a cup and if you're not into wine it's the best coffee you've ever tasted and I raise it in your honor and I tell you I am blessed by your willingness to respond to my invitation I am blessed that you want more of me because I want to give you more. And so now, Father, just pour that wine over them. Pour, pour the Holy Spirit over them. Wet them. 
touch their thirst, Lord. Touch their hunger for you. Father, your glass or bottle never goes empty. You've got so much more. Father, just let them experience right now the filling of your Holy Spirit, the openness of your arms. And in Jesus' name, I cancel ifs over you. You don't have to be one bit better to experience this unconditional love. Right now, I break that you haven't been good enough. I break that over you. That you're not good enough for somebody else. I break that over you in Jesus' name. You're good enough for me. You're good enough for God. Now I just release a spirit of prayer on you that are standing. That the spirit of prayer would impact you. And you would not be happy until you go to that place with him. I just uh, release that prayer coverage over you now and that hunger for more of him. The ability for your ears to hear the Father tell you, I love you. I remove stoppage in your ears now in Jesus' name. Where all you have heard is condemnation when you try to come to the Father in prayer, I break that accuser now in Jesus' name and tell you that is not the heart of God. And I release unconditional love and access for you to hear the loving arms love of your father now thank you father come holy spirit come lord fill them up walk with them outside these doors lord monday tuesday wednesday wherever they go and let them feel and experience your presence like they are now lord let them know you have not left them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. I don't have a watch. Can somebody tell me what time it is? Ten after. Okay. I do have a couple senses for words, so I'm just going to give those, and then we'll let uh, folks pray for you. Um, and then do any of you have words that the Father has given to you all? Anybody want to lift your hand? Let me give the sense of what Father's doing. Um, I thought of this and it was reminding me of a conversation I had a couple weeks ago with a friend that we were talking about dark times in our lives and how, and times when we have not felt the presence of God for months or maybe years and, um, whether it's a depressive, a depression that we're going through or, or whatnot, but talking about some of those dark seasons of our lives, which thankfully, um, were able to come to an end and in those times was there a place where we could always feel the presence of God and for me um, that was sitting down and playing the piano and when I um, no surprise but anyway when I was in college there was a, a several month season that was a very very dark time for me and I didn't hear God didn't feel him didn't desire him I just was completely low and the only moment where I could find that place of peace where I wasn't sad and I wasn't angry and I wasn't depressed and I could find just that moment of peace was just to go to one of the music rooms at my college and sit down and play. And for that 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 minutes, however long that lasted, 
that was my moment of peace. And as soon as I left, I'd feel as crappy as I did before I came in. But in that moment, I knew God is still alive. He still loves me. And one of these days, I'm going to come out of this season, and it's going to be okay again. And so this friend and I were just ta- I asked him, is there something for you that's always true, that that place? And so I just encourage you, if you're sitting here and, you know, going, why? I don't even know where to start. Think through your life and think if you can think. Think of that time that's consistent that you know you can always go to that place or you can always do that one thing. And for that moment of time, you find that peace um, and, and start there. Does that connect anybody? And if it connects to you, then when we go to have some prayer time, you can identify. Either come to Joy or come to somebody that you feel comfortable going to to ask them to pray about that. Are there any other words? Prophetic revelation that the Father's given? Okay, um, the third person who's a friend of Travis, you, what is your name? Andrew. Andrew, pardon? Lindell. Okay, do you mind standing while I speak to you? Um, you really uh, stood out in the audience, not because of your bald head, because there's other bald headers. Uh, because the eye of the Lord is on you. And he loves you. And um, just uh, I just saw uh, some brokenness um, in your life that has really affected uh, where you're at with God. And he uh, wants you to know that he suffered with you and is suffering with you. And um, you're not alone. He's willing to go with you wherever you go. It doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how gross it is. He is with you. And he wants you to know that he um, will protect you from whatever you're afraid of. He will give you the strength, and he will protect you from that place. And he loves you. Okay, thank you. Um, I was just um, also experiencing some kind of physical stuff, but I lost it. So I was hoping one of y'all would get it. It was a physical situation that somebody needs prayer about. Did any of you guys that normally get stuff like that get a picture or feeling or Priscilla? It came and it left, so I'm. I am experiencing some a little bit of pain right here, and I don't have any problems with this area. So it's lower back, upper hip, whatever you want to call it, um, on the left side. So. Anybody want some prayer about that? Right here. You do. Okay. Well, maybe she's looking at you. So, okay, good. Uh, I'd like you to stand. And he, there's a dad. So it's all coming back to me now. Um, also, David, please come up. Stand up. Okay, stand up. I think that's my phone. Just hit it. Oh, throw it. Yeah. Um, please forgive me. I don't remember your name. Nina. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nina, just uh, also for you, felt like uh, because of rejection in your life um, that, that there has been uh, a place of great woundedness there for you. And it's related to what you're feeling ex- actually physically. And so um, that I think that as you get those to pray for you about that rejection and that pain in your heart and that's happened there, that then they'll have authority to be able to pray for that pain on your, your hip and that there's going to be a connection. That was the word. I couldn't remember. 
And when I saw you and you stood up, I go, ah, that's that's it. Okay. Um, So are there any other words? Stay standing, David, and you guys, you're going to get prayer. Okay, what I'm going to do is um, you who were here last week and learned the prayer model, get over there and do do it. Okay, you want to jump in on this thing. I want you to get over there and pray for these folks. You're going to interview, ask what's wrong, if they want to give you any more information about what's going on. You're going to ask God what's going on in the spirit so he'll give you more information yeah they'll say what they want but then he'll tell you hey this is connected to rejection or you know whatever the deal is and then you're going to uh figure out from the lord how to pray for them we need um definitely a gentleman um, over there with dave and joy so if one of you guys would would head over there that'd be good here they come wow mighty army here awesome that's awesome. Good job. Okay, if there's any other need for prayer, if you all would uh, just come forward, we'll have people that will minister to you and love to bless you. The Lord bless you, and you guys go for it. And we'll see what the Father does. Okay, bless you. We'll see you uh, tonight at Laser Quest at 6 o'clock. All right. Oh.